0: A kind of warm Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad to uh, have you with me today. I hope your day's... Best- All right. We started that a little bit uh, premature, but we are here live and are awfully glad that we have uh, some time here with Pastor David Miles. We're moving him into the earlier slot on the Monday afternoon mix, and we're glad that he is uh, here with us today. And then Dr. Greg Heddington is going to be joining me afterwards because we're going to continue our study on the book of John. And then Greg said he's got a little bit of a special Christmas message for us, which I'm looking forward to. And then Ace Collins is going to join join me. This is part two of his um, discussion of all things Christmas. We're going to talk about some of the greatest songs of Christmas and what their history and backgrounds are. So I'm looking forward to that as well. That is what's on the schedule for today. So we're moving ahead a little bit. My friend Patrick Albanese, who usually joins me to get things started, has got a prior commitment. So we are doing a little bit of moving and shaking here in the, in the studio to get uh, David... And Rosie, to the Monday afternoon mix to start off the hour, welcome both of you.
1: You know, thank you, Bill. And as uh, David just gets settled here just a little bit, I have to tell you, this season, um, listening to the programming on your show, on Carmen's show, on Susie's show, I have such a greater understanding of the gift of Christ at Christmas, His deity into human form the importance of really adhering to the Word of God when we study and taking into understanding the Jewish traditions and how it was written for the time and the culture, and just the amazing gift of peace that is ours, you know, not just this season, but that we need to walk in every day.
0: Amen to that. Pastor David Miles is a adjunct professor here at the University of Northwestern and also pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, Welcome. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rosie. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We are good. I love the
2: fireplace look up in here. It's very nice, isn't it? It is really, really lovely.
0: Yes. For those of you who don't know what David just said, we've got video (laughs) screens here in the studio. And we have roaring fires on the video screen, so it looks like there's an actual they're fire going on right here. No, they're fake,
1: and that's a gift from Angie. She likes to set the studio. It's studio so up. nice. It's so sweet. You walk
0: in, there's roaring fires on the video screen. Yeah, yeah. She'd so get works. in here
1: and stoke it. It would be better. Well, be right. Nice.
2: You know, it's it's beautiful to see it, and you know, it, it brings to mind this kind of whole Christmas season. You know, you got you know uh, snow and you know. Snowball fights, but you have you have logs and then you have a tree and then you have you have gifts under the tree. But I think today we're gonna to be taking a look at, you know, uh like the indescribable gift.
0: Let's do it. Ooh, you wow. know.
2: So so what do you can can I ask like what's been a really cool Christmas
0: gift that you've gotten before? Mm, I... That's a loaded question, because I got one today and, and I don't know <laughs> if I can quite share it, but it's uh it was very special.
1: Aww. I do have, I have a gift. I have a gift that, um, so everybody probably is very familiar. I have nine other siblings and my dad was in the military as well as a um, a deacon of the Catholic church. So um, money was extremely tight growing up. And my mom, I was uh, raised amongst all the boys. Mm -hmm. And so there is very little girly things. I was very much a tomboy growing up, but my mom landed this most beautiful dollhouse and she had it by the tree and it had all the figurines and you know we were we knew money yep. was tight so i couldn't believe that she had found it i couldn't believe that she so that she saw you know her girl in the all the boys and that she went out of her way to find i never even asked for it you know you don't you don't ask for those type of gifts when your money is tight in a family you're very mm-hmm. thankful for whatever you get and so I remember walking down and just giving her the biggest hug. And she said, oh, honey, I see you. It was Aww. just so sweet. Right. So I remember that dollhouse.
2: That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. Well, mm-hmm. for, for myself, um, it was actually 1999. Um, you know, when I got, I got, you know, the gift that made my, my, um, my millennial, that was Tammy. Yeah. But. She had gotten me for our first wedding anniversary, or for our first Christmas married. She got me a Cambridge wide margin Bible that you can write notes on. This, oh my goodness, That's it is so, cool. so good. And I was just in it this morning, you know, reading. You know, but every year there's all these different gifts that get put out. You know, and advertisers like this must. You know, this is the must have gift. You guys remember when it was tickle me Elmo?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, <laughs> and people actually got trampled to death. Right. Isn't that crazy?
0: That is crazy.
1: <laughs> I remember how much I don't like the, the giggle of Tickle Me, <laughs> Me I'm like, do not buy that gift. Well,
2: yeah, it's, and, and it's a gift that doesn't give as well as this gift. Um, the gift of the lover of our souls. It was a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, but not just any ordinary child. No, this was the one. Born fully God and fully man, of whom Paul exclaimed, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And this is Jesus. You know, this is God who put on flesh in the incarnation. And he came to earth. And uh, that's just incredible. I mean, like, really thinking about it, it's just really incredible.
0: Oh, I'm with you on that. You've you've got my full vote of confidence. I thought you were going to say more. You pointed at me like, say something, Bill. Well, so I, I did.
1: I am pointing at you. I Why are you pointing know, at me? Because I want to know your gift. So, what was your most special gift before we move on? Yes. Well, I got one today. Well, he said he can't tell us. <laughs> no, that's not his most important gift. Come okay. on. Okay.
0: No, it is. I mean, we're talking about gifts, so I don't want to get too far off the track because we don't have a ton of time. I want to get to this great content you have.
1: Know <laughs> what that is? That okay, a skip. He, he's really good. <laughs> he is no, I'm really just saying good.
0: you've got incredible content today, yeah. and we're in the shorter part of the hour, so Here we, we have to maximize. So, yeah.
2: John chapter one verse fourteen reads, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth." No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made known. And you know what's really cool about this is that one of the first things we see in this passage is that Jesus' incarnation, it gave us the gift of the eternal word mm. made flesh.
1: Wow. That's there's no words for that.
0: No, there isn't.
1: I mean the heaviness of my heart just in gratitude is amazing.
0: It's
2: it's it's overwhelming. Well, You know, Martin Luther once said this. He said, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. Because it doesn't really make sense. I mean, like, oftentimes people will, you know, want to position themselves and things. But here's God who created all things and holds all things together. And here he put on flesh, came and became a baby, like a baby in a manger. And, uh, you know, that is so powerful for us because... God knew that we didn't need just like money. So he didn't send an economist. He knew that we didn't need, you know, pleasure. So he didn't send, you know, an entertainer. You know, he knew that we needed salvation. So he sent us a savior.
0: I love that.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I don't, it's so pregnant, right? Because we can't imagine the deity of Christ alone. Like we we have this permission to go in the throne room and our imagination kicks in, Right. Because we can't, we haven't seen God in our memory, you know, on the side of heaven anyway. And so to think of this majesty put into a form of a baby, that sacrifice, there aren't really any words for it.
2: No, and we struggle with this because, you know, back in, in the time that this is being written, you had the Greek mind and the Jewish mind. And for the Greek mind, hearing that the eternal God or the eternal word became flesh it stung them because they kind of separated this whole divine spirit from the mundane flesh, and that was widely accepted. Um, and so people, like, really struggled with this idea, and much today. People, they struggle with the idea of God becoming flesh, and they struggle with God because oftentimes we want to remain in control. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Bible and the gospel is foolishness to the Greek, you know, but it is so transformative Um, through the lives of people. I was talking to a person that um, I recently met and was having some conversation, and the person's like, you know, like, how do you handle these various things going on? And I said, well, because there really is a first century carpenter named Jesus who came and lived his life and died on a cross, and he came inside of my life and transformed me, that this, this isn't just like a nice philosophical way or a nice, you know, mantra to live by, but that there is a real living God who made himself known to us that we might have life with him and deeper life with one another.
0: Keep, keep teaching it, brother.
2: (laughs) Well, not only do we see that, you know, Jesus's gift gives the, you know, the gift of the eternal word. uh, We see that Jesus's incarnation gave us the gift of grace to believers. And this is Probably because we spent some time talking about relationships in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The need for grace over the next couple of days uh, to be dispensed richly to those around us is like pretty huge. So I I don't know if you guys have. I've I've had, as a a pastor, I've had a number of conversations with people where they're, they're kind of feeling that, that tension of going into the holidays mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and trying to navigate, like, you know, who's going to sit where and who's actually coming and, you know, how do we, how do we have this conversation? How do, I, how do I say that, you know, that, that special thing to that person? Sometimes it's that special jab. But if we really begin to start thinking that God gave his grace to us through his son, And how can we plug into God's grace to give grace to your Mm sister-in-law?
0: You know,
1: Bill Bill and I have talked about this many times about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, walking in goodness and faithfulness and kindness. And, you know, the living word, it's easy to read the grace of God for us. And it's easy to read the fruits of the Spirit will be the fruit of your life. But to actually make a choice to live that way, completely different. Completely different. And so I thank you, you know, David, for just bringing this topic up as a reminder that we are all coming into these opportunities with family that, you know, there's that word should love, but then there's that active word of love and choosing to love the way God loves us, you know, is a plan that you make beforehand.
0: Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and here are some couple things, you know, to our listeners, because we know that they love the word of God, but spend some time meditating, you know, in Proverbs chapter fifteen and sixteen and seventeen. So as you go into the into this week, you know, fifteen one says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. I mean that that can save a lot of anxiety. It's it's kind of what Tammy has said, and she'll say to our kids, you know, it's not only what you say, but how you say it. You know, because sometimes truth, uh, it's not always helpful. Uh, the story was told to Miss Fisher. She was a you know fourth grade uh, teacher, and she was recovering from surgery. And she got this card from her class, and it said, Dear Miss Fisher, your fourth grade class wishes you a speedy recovery by a vote of 15 to 14. <laughs> so that's truth. Yeah. But that's great. Not exactly helpful.
0: Yeah. All right. We're doing the Monday afternoon mix a little earlier than usual. We're going to continue our discussion on the indescribable gift of the incarnation with Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Pastor David Miles with us, Rosie B. We're doing the Monday afternoon mix a little earlier today, talking about the Incarnation, which is the most wonderful news you could ever imagine. Jesus came in flesh. The Word became flesh. But David, let's jump to this Incarnation giving us the gift of a relationship with God.
2: Yeah, I'd like to say that, you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when we look at this this thing with the gospel— It just gets gooder and gooder and gooder. Is that good grammar? (laughs) Yeah. It is for today. There's an English teacher going, oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, because it's not only that Jesus' incarnation gave us the gift of the eternal word. It's not only that Jesus' incarnation gave us the gift of grace this point is that he gave us the gift of a relationship with God. And verse 17 says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, and what we see here, guys, is how grace triumphed over the law. You see, because the law was like given in the Old Testament through Moses, and it reflected God's holy and righteous character. Uh, Romans five twenty says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. You know, we can't even keep the Ten Commandments. And, and for most, we can't remember them. Um, but where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. And, and love this fact that Jesus had put on flesh to become one of us to die. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, boom. Right? Boom. Boom. I mean, like, we can go old school boom. Like, old school boom would be like, you know, the hymn writer who says— you know, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, uh, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's Mount, our poor, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And you know, I know some of the, mm. our, our our sweet silver hairs would could sing and they could say grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace that is greater than all our sins. I mean, that's, that's a gift. I mean, like a gift of a clean conscience and a clean heart um, is something that, you know, you, you just can't, you can't pick it up on Amazon.
1: <laughs> no. As
0: hard as you might try, you cannot do it. Yeah.
1: No. And it's not going to be delivered prime time, and, right? No. it got to do it prime time. <laughs> right.
2: And so if you're sitting in your car right now and you're driving home or you're in your kitchen and you're thinking about this this week and you're like, man, I see these gifts under the, under the tree. Those are a blessing. They're wonderful, but they're still kind of this this ache and this emptiness, and you're reflecting because you remember this feeling last year, hoping that all the things that the world had to offer would fill that. We, we just want to encourage you today that God sent his son Jesus uh, to be a, the eternal gift to you, and he invites you into a personal relationship today, right where you're at. And he's saying, come to me and receive this gift of life for me, and you could have the most incredible Christmas ever right now right where you're at
0: Romans 8 1 and 2 says therefore there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death there's that new life that new freedom in Christ that that's another boom
1: right it is, is it's a boom and it's it's in the moment like sometimes I don't know about you guys but it I like to start, it's kind of a joke in my family. I like to start things on Mondays, but this gift happens in the moment. It doesn't, you know, it it can happen when you wake up the next day, but it happens right now. And you don't have to reset at any significant day or hour. It's actually right now in this present moment now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And that's what makes the difference because sometimes people are like, oh, you know, but there's, there's a whole bunch of different paths to get to God. But actually the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And this is what makes, you know, Christmas and Easter just so profoundly um, transformative. I mean, because, listen, um, you know, there, there's a one-for-one ratio on death. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we're born and we die. You know, and and it's like you don't you don't get out of that one, um, and it says that it's appointed you know once for man to die and to stand for for judgment because before holy God we've sinned, but God has made His Son available, and the writer to Hebrews says, "Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help in a time of need." I love that the that the Bible tells us to draw near. Actually, can we say that, you know, actually run to the throne. Mm. I mean, literally run to the throne. And all of this is simply po- possible because Jesus Christ chose to step down as the indescribable gift of the incarnation. Like Jesus stepped down into the sewage of our existence to redeem us. And some people are like, you, you don't understand um You know what's happening. And it's like, listen, you may be walking through your deepest valley this evening, but the light of the world is shining in your situation all because Christ stepped down. And you might be thinking to yourself, PDM, Rosie, Bill, you don't understand. I'm all alone this Christmas. But because Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us, you're not alone because Christ stepped down. And you might be thinking, you know what? I have nothing to live for, no reason to keep on going. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, and you can make it because Christ stepped down. And you might say, hey, you don't understand my situation. You don't know my pain. You don't know my problem. You're right. We don't know. But Christ stepped down. And it's because of his fullness, because from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace.
1: You know, it. I feel like what you're saying is the human response in that because all the scenarios that you just spoke about, David, are all true for people listening right now, true probably in our studio as well. And I feel like our response, the response that is the most valuable frankincense or myrrh or gold is trust, mm. right? Opening ourselves up in those wounded spots and saying I trust that you step down. I trust that you will love me in this place that you're finding me. I trust. You know, it's we're in a relationship with God. And that seems to be what we need to do to receive it. He stepped down.
0: Yeah. So this is a gift that is available to you. And if you want to uh, have God make you his child adopted into his family today, By placing your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that is the greatest gift anyone could receive. And I would like to invite all of you who are in a place where you know in your heart you are outside of God's family to make that decision. You can make that prayer yours today. All you would say is something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you that even though you are the eternal word of God, you became flesh and and moved into our neighborhood so we could experience the forgiveness of our sins and the absolute power and richness of your grace. So I come today as a sinner in need of your grace and ask you to change me, change my heart and make me new in Christ. Make me the person you want to be. Thank you again for this gift in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Man, Bill, that was beautiful. That oh, is thanks.
0: beautiful,
2: dude. Ah. That's beautiful with the fireplace behind you,
1: too. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> a little ambiance. So
0: that is the Business of Faith Radio. Yeah. So thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Bill. Thank I think you, Rosie. We're going to continue our discussion on the book of John and then a little <sighs> Christmas message from Dr. Greg Headington. That's all coming up next after the break. Hour two. Our friend Ace Collins is back to talk about the wonderful traditions behind the great songs and hymns of Christmas, the ones we love so much. We'll take a short break and be right back. is about time to get right back into that study of the book of John, which I've been doing with my dear friend, Dr. Greg Heddington, and I'm so glad that he is back with us today. Greg, welcome back.
3: Thanks. Good to be back. I
0: have missed you. You've been not been around for a little while, but we're going to jump back into the book of John, chapter 20, I think starting in about verse 19. I'm looking forward to it.
3: That's correct. Well, welcome to our study, of the gospel of John, as we continue our study of the resurrection of Jesus this first part will be entitled receiving the Holy Spirit and in the second half after the break I wanna talk on the subject of Jesus is enough. So if you're taking notes, Roman number one, the setting. The setting for these verses occurs on the evening of the same day that Mary Magdalene has claimed she saw the risen Lord. The disciples are locked into a room grieving the death of their friend whom they thought was Messiah but evidently he's, he's dead and so now they're also fearful of their possible arrest by the Romans if they leave that room because certainly by now the police are reporting a missing, bo- missing body from a heavily guarded tomb and the disciples are suspect these apostles are also probably thinking of returning to their previous jobs I mean after all most of them have been in the fishing business and there's always a demand for fish hmm. si- Simon the zealot is possibly considering a return to his insurrectionist buddies who still carry knives in their togas and look for a chance to slit the throat of an unsuspecting Roman soldier. But it's Matthew who has the bleakest chance of returning to his job with the Roman Internal Revenue Service. I mean, after all, he'd hung out with Jesus for over three years, and who could forget the incident when Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple court? That makes Matthew look pretty suspicious and irresponsible if that's the company he keeps When he's supposed to be collecting taxes for the government. As the apostles are sitting together in the upper room, things begin to get a little spooky. It's kind of like a ghost story when out of nowhere, Jesus appears in the locked room. He doesn't even give them time to freak out because his first words are, peace be with you. And he begins to prove that he is no ghost by showing them the scars from the crucifixion of which the only witness in that room had been John. The word peace in Hebrew is the word shalom, and it does not mean an absence of trouble or conflict. Shalom means wholeness or completeness, even in the midst of troubles. And it's a comforting word that Jesus has used before with his disciples and taught them to use with others. Jesus shows them the wound in his side, which had been pierced by the Roman spear, to determine that he had already died, and also the scars on his wrists. Now, the wrist was considered to be an extended part of the hand where the spikes had been driven through because the Romans knew they could not kneel someone's hand to the cross or it might rip loose. Yikes, I can't even Mm. imagine that. And the man then would have to be nailed again on the cross. Mm. No, the Romans had perfected the affliction of crucifixion that it might induce the full extent of agony to that crucified person. And by the way, our word affliction, comes from that Greek word crucis, which is also used in crucifixion. These wounds of Jesus had been prophesied 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, verse 5, and they served as a reminder of God's love for the apostles and for us. So after proving to them that he's not a ghost, Jesus tells his apostles in verse 22 to receive the Spirit. What does that mean? I want to spend the rest of this first half talking about the third person of the Trinity. Now, many people have not had much instruction about the Holy Spirit in their churches, so I want to try to explain a few things that might help because some of the concepts may be a bit confusing about the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at the difference between the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and what Jesus is saying to the disciples in chapter 20, verse 22. Roman numeral 2 the baptism, or indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This baptism takes place at conversion. When you were born again and made Jesus the boss of your life, and I use that word because it's interesting that we Americans use the word Lord, which is a British term and is associated more often with British royalty. So I'm going to use the word boss. When you make Jesus the boss of your life, then you receive that interior work of the Holy Spirit, which we call Baptism of the Holy Spirit, which has nothing to do, by the way, with water. It means you are now identified with Christ. You are his follower because the Holy Spirit has convinced you of the truth. As the Apostle Paul says to believers in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, we were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. So when we commit to Jesus as one of his followers, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. However, you may not necessarily feel anything, so don't be disappointed if you don't feel something unusual take place in you. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. For example, when I was 12 years old, I took a class at my church for the purpose of becoming a church member. After finishing the class, I, along with 12 other young people, joined the parish as we publicly professed our faith in Jesus. It was a two-for-one day. I joined the congregation. I got my ticket punched to heaven at the same time. Now, I don't mean to be irreverent. and I don't mean to joke about it at all, because it was a really a big day in my life, but I didn't feel anything unusual. Mm-hmm. Yet, as I grew in my understanding and my commitment over the years, I began to have a sense of coming home and belonging in solidarity with a community of other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world which is the strongest spiritual connection we will ever have with anyone this side of eternity. After all, when we know the Lord, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 2:19, quote, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And again in Philippians 3:20, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, that's even better than being a citizen of the United States, and we don't have to carry a passport. Simply put, when Jesus breathes on the disciples in verse 22 and says, Receive, that is, welcome the Holy Spirit, Jesus is giving them a foretaste of what would happen when the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. This particular breathing in or welcoming of the Holy Spirit is understood by many Bible scholars to be for the purpose of Jesus enhancing the apostles' education from him between the resurrection and the ascension. This baptism is a particular baptism or indwelling of the Holy Spirit given to the disciples for learning more about him. It's a mark that they belong to God, and ever since Pentecost, all believers receive the full Holy Spirit baptism. Now, I remember one day when I was a young believer And I was putting gas into a car at a filling station, when all of a sudden a man at the pump next to me just says, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, after fortunately not dropping the pump, I said, (laughs) I know I have Jesus in my life, whereupon he says, but do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Well, as a young believer, I was not sure what that meant, but I do now. St. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 13, Having in you, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that is what's meant in Scripture when it speaks of the baptism or indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now the other word used for the Holy Spirit is, Roman numeral 3, the filling or anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now I know we're slogging through some heavy Holy Spirit theology here, but hang in there. Got a special treat I want to share with you in a little bit. At least I think it's special. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit concerns the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives to each believer? The apostle Paul is clear about this in Ephesians 4:12, when he says the gifts are given to, quote, equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry, for the building up of Christ. Now, the church leaders, which Paul mentions, are to instruct believers that they, are, that they all have spiritual gifts to be used in ministry to one another and to bring about the unity of God's people. Now, we see those gifts being used at Pentecost through the book of Acts and even today to do the will of God. This filling is sometimes called the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus breathed on them with the Holy Spirit in verse 22... It began their transformation from being filled with fear to filled with courage. Roman numeral four. So what does this all mean for us today? Excellent question. Ever since the Holy Spirit was unleashed at Pentecost, those who have made Jesus the boss of their life have already received the baptism, also known as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that means 100% of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all have certain spiritual gifts, and depending on which Bible scholar you read, there's around 20, 22, 23 gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not an exact number because some are considered gifts and some are considered talents, and that's not really worth getting into. So let me make three points at this juncture. Roman numeral 5a, speaking in tongues. For the past 46 years, I have been around hundreds of believers who speak in tongues in this country and in other countries, and I've always seen people use that gift for the building up of the body of Christ. I have not seen it abused, although I know anything can be abused. Diets, exercise, iPhones, anything can be abused. Remember that Satan will use anything to divide believers, including false preaching and false teaching and tongues. Tongues have been one way he has brought enmity, that is animosity, between believers. And if you recall from Proverbs 6, enmity, that is animosity between brethren, is the worst of the seven deadly sins of the church. So let's be charitable with the spiritual gifts of others which we may not personally possess in order to build up the body of Christ. Roman 5b No classification of believers. Let's remember there's no such thing as a first or second or third class follower of Jesus. We all have different roles to play in the body of Christ, just like there are different body parts, but they're all important to work together as a whole, so there's no need to compare our spiritual gifts with someone else's. Roman numeral 5c no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we believe, that is, we trust, commit to, put our weight down on, that's the Greek word for believe, it's a package deal, and at that moment we are baptized, also in, known as indwelled, with 100% of the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Romans 8:11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Now, you may not use that power, but it's there, and it's powerful. Also, at certain times, you might experience other fillings or anointings for certain tasks, but you cannot get more of the Holy Spirit than when you first came to Christ and received that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. At certain times, you might experience other fillings or anointings for certain tasks, but you cannot get more of the Holy Spirit than when you first came to Christ and received that baptism in the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now Paul is referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live for Christ in our own strength without the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in us. Think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians twelve eight. Paul quotes Jesus who says, My power is made perfect in your weakness. Now that's Holy Spirit power. And in Philippians 4:13 Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And again in Romans 8:11, he says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. So just think of that. Think about what kind of power that is. Friends, this is resurrection living. And our lives right now are all about resurrection living. So here's a question. What are your spiritual gifts? Now, there's lots of books on the topic of discovering your spiritual gifts, and it'd be good for all of us to know our gifts so we can use them for greater effectiveness to build up the body and the unity of Christ. So that's a question we need to determine soon. And uh, Bill, I think right now um, we're about ready for a break.
0: <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. We'll take a little break. We're talking to Dr. Greg Heddington, continuing our great study on the book of John. So we'll be right back with a couple of observations about Christmas. We're back with Dr. Greg Heddington. We've been in the study in the book of John for quite a while. We're going to just take a short pause for the next 10 minutes. And I asked Greg to give us a few Christmas reflections.
3: So what do we have, Bill, about 11 minutes or so?
0: Yeah, right around there.
3: Okay, let's uh, let's do that. Well, um, in the last point I made, I wanted to share a few words right before I get into this Christmas part. It's It's so I'll we'll have to use Roman numeral six. It's a perspective on the resurrection from Charles Colson. Now I lived in the Washington D.C. area for a number of years, and while I was there, I met a man named Charles Colson, although most people called him Chuck. But today, many people have never heard of him, but they have heard of Watergate. <clears throat> Colson was officially the special assistant lawyer for President Nixon, but unofficially, he was Nixon's hatchet man in charge of political dirty tricks, who would do anything to protect the president. And who most famously said one time that he would run over his grandmother in order to get the president reelected, which did not go over well with grandmothers in the U.S. <laughs> now, for Colson's part in Watergate, he served a federal prison sentence of, of uh, seven months in 1974. Just before serving his prison uh, sentence, he began a walk with Jesus, and it grew in his prison time. And when he was released from prison, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship, and that's still going on today. Now, that's the background, but what's germane to our lesson is what Chuck wrote about Easter, which he visited every Easter he went to a prison. Here's what he says about, this is powerful to me, about Easter. Quote, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because in the first century, 11 very average men testified under enormous political pressure that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every apostle was beaten, tortured, and eventually put to death, except one who lived out his life in exile on an island prison. They would not have endured if they had not believed it was true. Think of Watergate. Watergate brought discord between 12 of the most powerful political leaders in the world. They had sworn their loyal pledge to the president that they would protect him at any cost. And yet they couldn't keep up a lie for even three weeks. So what would you say to someone who says they believe the 11 apostles were fabricating the story just so the idea of the resurrection would continue, even though they believe themselves to be frauds and persecuted? And tortured and eventually killed, even though they knew Jesus did not really come back from the dead, and they did not change their stories for 40 years? So Colson asks us that question. He doesn't even answer himself, but the question is, what would you say to someone who thought the resurrection never happened? Or more importantly, what difference has it made in your life? Okay, Bill, it's, it's Christmas season, and for the second part, I just want to talk a little bit about Jesus is enough, There was recently a survey given to several thousand people, and they were simply asked the question, how do you think you're doing in life? Seventy percent of those people said they felt they weren't doing enough in life. Now, the other 30 percent who did not agree were probably not being honest because I believe 100 percent of people think they're not doing enough. In other words, they're not doing all they can in life. It's called the imposter syndrome. People in the survey said things like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough husband, not a good enough wife. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, on and on. I'll tell you, not feeling good enough is exhausting. Many people also believe that if they think they are not good enough, then certainly God would not think they're good enough. Now, here's what many people don't understand. The gospel is good news. Think about it. God carefully chose to whom he would sin, The very first announcement of good news. It could have been to royalty. It could have been to the rich. It could have been to the powerful. But to whom did he choose to send this good news about his arrival to human flesh? And he chose shepherds in Galilee. Shepherds were considered to have equal status with thieves. Shepherds were not allowed to give testimony in the court of law because they were considered to be dishonest. They were not allowed to worship in Jewish synagogues because they had to handle dead animals. They were in most cases considered to be shiftless and irresponsible because they were constantly moving from pasture to pasture. At the very least, a parent would not want their daughter to marry a shepherd. So why in the world would God choose to make his announcement about the greatest of all events to lowly, disreputable shepherds? Because these shepherds knew they were not worthy. They were not enough to receive such good news. And friends... We're to do the same thing because we are not enough either on our own to receive God's grace. One definition of grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And think about the greatest song about grace entitled Amazing Grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Now, we might think, wait a minute. What are you talking about fear? Well, the word for fear really means holy reverence. So twas grace that taught my heart to fear with holy reverence. Well, why is that? Well, because we know we're not worthy. We should fear, and it goes on. And grace, my fear relieved. In other words, we know we are not enough on our own, and will never be enough. And it's God's grace, God's gift, to to us when we know that and acknowledge that. Therefore, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? Now, think about those angels. What they did not bring to the shepherds? They did not bring good advice. So the shepherds could feel better about themselves. No, they brought good news about what God had just done in Bethlehem because of the birth of the son. That's good news, the best news. Now, here's the difference between advice and news. Advice is when we get information about what we are about to do in the future. News, think of how you get your news. News is about an event that has already happened. The gospel, which is also another word for good news, the gospel is not advice about what we are going to do. It's good news because an event has already happened. And what did the angels tell the shepherds had happened? Luke 2, verse 11, quote, A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. This means the one who will protect them, who will save their souls. He is for you if you want to know him. But you, first of all, must admit you are not enough, just like the shepherds who had no problem of being They were not enough. They couldn't even worship God in a Jewish synagogue. So they were the perfect people to first receive the greatest announcement in the history of the world. After all, things would not go well with the Jewish people under the Roman rule for another three centuries. And it's been a long time ever since I heard much about the Messiah, 700 years anyway. They need a Savior. And we need a Savior. And God tells Paul in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul admits he's not enough. He needs help. He can't make it on his own. And that's the beauty of the 12-step program, which originated from biblical principles. And the first step of the 12-step is we admitted we were powerless over whatever dependency was, alcohol or drugs, and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's it. That's the start of the road to recovery. And it's the start of our road to following the Lord by admitting we are not enough. We need help. Now, we want to be sure that our identification is not in our sins, not in our weaknesses, because we are children of God, loved by him no matter what. Our identity now is in the Lord. And I like the way the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. He says, we are a new creature, a new person in Christ when we receive his grace. Yes, we are still sinners and messed up and insecure, and there are no exceptions. But Romans ten nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's our boss, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the word for believe, again in Greek, is to trust, to commit to, to put your way down on Jesus and admit we can't do it on our own, then we will be saved. That's the gospel message. That's Christmas. His grace is sufficient for our our needs, and Jesus is enough for us always. We will never be good enough to deserve God's forgiveness. We'll never be bad enough to prevent it. Jesus did not die to make bad people good or to make good people better. Jesus died to make dead people alive. So Merry Christmas. Mm.
0: So good, Greg. I have so enjoyed this study, and this message you gave at the end is so powerful, and I know it's going to really speak to people as they are uh, getting ready for the week and thinking about celebrating the birth of the Savior and how important it is to be sharing that the hope that we have in Christ with others.
3: Thanks, Bill. Yeah.
0: So uh, we have about 45 seconds left. Do you have a particularly, particularly favorite tradition at Christmas time you like to do?
3: You know, we uh, I know a lot of people do their Christmas gifts before. By the way, it was interesting. I was talking to a girl from China. She had no idea where anything came from. Really, in China, they just think it's a shopping day. <laughs> I said, well, now, this idea of gifts, again, this comes from the, the magi who came and brought gifts. So that's the idea. They brought gifts to God himself, which, again, blew her mind. She said, this is good news. I'm going to go tell my friends this.
0: Oh, fantastic. That's exactly uh, the message we want to give out.
3: That's it. Yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, have a wonderful Christmas, and my best to your family and to your wife, Carrie, and I will look forward to talking to you again next year. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest as we continue our study on the book of John. We will take a very short break and be back with Ace Collins in just a minute